This podcast is for the purposes of providing information only and is not providing legal advice. Although we may have attorneys speaking during this podcast, no attorney-client relationship exists. As always, we recommend you consult with an attorney about your specific issue. Thank you for tuning in to Dream Podcast. This episode with attorney Brenda Villalpando will be broken up into two episodes and will be available as episode 13 and episode 14. We are recording during the coronavirus pandemic and would like to remind you to wear your mask and practice social distancing. Thank you. This episode of Dream Podcast, Truth About Immigration, is brought to you by Hippie Girl Natural Products. Our products are handmade, environmentally friendly, and we cultivate the herbs and flowers used in our garden. If you'd like to try a product at 50% off, go to hippiegirlnaturalproducts.com and use coupon code DREAM. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dream Podcast, The Truth About Immigration. Hi, Richie. Hello. How's it going, Cynthia? everyone. I am Cynthia Lopez. I'm an attorney and this is Richie Marufo. He is uh, my co-host on the podcast. That's right. It's good to be back. We've been MIA for a while. Um, We did upload a couple episodes that we recorded before the quarantine and the virus. Um, They are, there is one that's up. The other one will be up shortly. Um, But we did want to come in because there's been some Supreme Court cases that we wanted to talk about. And so we have a guest. She is a friend of the podcast. She's appeared with us before um, when we did our live episode at Tricky Falls. Brenda Villalpando, who is also an immigration attorney in El Paso. Hi, Brenda. Hello. Thank you so much for coming. I wanted to bring uh, someone on, Richie. I'm, I know you've heard about the cases. I mean, we've had a lot of decisions coming out of the Supreme Court this past week, two weeks, I guess, really. And one of the big ones, you know, it is called Dream Podcast. And we did want to talk about, you know, our main focus is, is really dreamers and DACA cases and things like that. Brenda, can you explain to people, we've gotten into it a little bit before, but can you explain what DACA is and what it stands for? Sure. Um, DACA pretty much stands for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. Uh, This is a program that was created by the Obama administration. It was done through the means of something that's called an executive order, which is pretty much a presidential action. And this allowed people that had been brought to the United States by their parents since a young age and it pretty much gave them a way to be here um, and be protected from removal and it would allow them to have a a work permit a a work authorization document Um, it didn't give them any leap you know lawful status it doesn't give them it just pretty much the first the removal and it allows them to to work get a social security number and of course as you know that allows them to get a driver's license and it pretty much brought a lot of these young folks out of the shadows Yeah. And a lot of people don't realize that it's not just a matter of applying to get your residency. You have to have certain ways to get your residency. And if you guys want to learn some more about that, um, go back and listen to the first few episodes. We talk about the basics of immigration. We talk about chain migration, but dreamers basically didn't have, or the DACA, we call them dreamers, but it's, it's kind of the same thing. They didn't have a way to get legal status any other, any other way. Right, Brenda? That's correct. That's correct. Cause I mean, the, the reality is, is that a lot of these, um, a lot of these individuals came with their parents who also don't have status. So they, they unless they 
got married or or they had and you know another way to or another prior petition pending from another relative they didn't really have a means to get any any sort of status in the United States and so I mean like you said listen to the other um, episodes that explain different avenues different types of reliefs which there are plenty but the reality was that most of these individuals just didn't have a way to get any any sort of status yeah so they created DACA so that these kids could at least have something that's correct and what what does a DACA, if you can explain, Brenda, what a DACA filing entails, like um, what, 450 or something, the application fees? Right, like so you, you know, for, for the individual to apply, they have to, the actual DACA form, which is a form 821D, uh, doesn't have an actual filing fee, um, but with that form, you do have to file for your actual, it's a form I-765, which is your, your form for your work permit, and that one has a filing fee of 410, um, and on top of that, you do have to pay for your biometrics fees, which is just for your fingerprints, which is $85. Yeah, and show um, entered before a certain date, uh, graduated or right, right. The the actual requirements for DACA is that you know you you have to have entered before what was it August two thousand twelve, um, and you must meet certain age requirements before that day. So you do have to have certain requirements. You must have graduated high school, or you have to be pursuing your high school diploma or GED. Um, So, and very importantly, you must have not been in any lawful status when DACA um, was implemented and no disqualifying crimes. And so that's been, you know, for a lot of people that have been here for a long time, it's just a lot of people, it's it's easy to get into trouble, get a DWI, get arrested for something. And so those were, those would be disqualifying. So any, any kind of crime, like any... Any, like- any, so the, the list is very specific as mm-hmm. to serious crimes. So like say if you have, um, if you have a DWI, that's a disqualifying crime. You are not eligible for DACA. If you have any crime related to a domestic violence, that's a disqualifying crime. Or if you have been convicted of two or more serious misdemeanors and then the list will tell you which ones are considered serious misdemeanors. And mm-hmm. so it's very, you know, it's very specific. Um, we've been able to uh, make arguments that one, you know, the actual crime doesn't apply or there's exceptions or, you know, a lot of the times you do have to get creative um, to show USCIS that the that the disqualifiers don't apply to our clients. But it's, mm-hmm. if you have... If you have one of the very specific listed crimes, then there's really no way to get creative or yeah. make an argument. Yeah, that's interesting because I know even in the current climate, you know, where a lot of people are rethinking even the way police and and organizations are, are structured, right? And then that could also lead to maybe uh, some trouble for yeah, def- for definitely, definitely. I think. Uh, you know, when you have a lot of these applicants um, getting into trouble, for sure they're, and especially where they come from, where they live, it's just the likelihood of them getting into trouble is probably higher than, you know, any other white kid in, you know, suburbia. So Yeah, I do think, though, that that a lot of these kids that were DACA, I mean, some of them aren't even kids anymore. They're, they're almost our age. But um, I think that, that a lot of them are living a lot of fear. Um, especially before DACA was passed. So I, I did come across a lot of them that didn't have any documentation, no, of course, no criminal record because they were scared. So um, yeah, I think it's, it's common, but it, it, it's very easy to get, you know, a little, a small misdemeanor or something like that. And then you might have issues, but most, most of our DACA clients 
were very clean criminal records. And they do have to prove that too. So that was the other thing I want to talk about. So it's only two years. They have to renew every two years, pay the fees again. And then they also have to do background checks again every two years. Yep. yep, yep, yep. So. Uh, and so what we were doing before this case, um, and I'll give you the date of the case right now, but before this case came down this past week, which was um, June, do you know what the June date 18th. was? June 18th, this decision came down. Yeah. Uh, we were doing renewals right? And renewals only because the current administration had changed the rules and was trying to completely um, end DACA. That's correct. So when pretty much when the, the Trump administration started in January of 2017, that's when they actually moved to rescind DACA. Um, they did it in a way where there was very little justification for taking it away. Um, they said it was illegal that Obama didn't have any authority to implement this program. And that was that. They started the the, the process to take it away, to cancel it. Um, luckily, there was, you know, a lot of, a, a lot of action from, from, the legal community, the legal community <laughs> to, to stop that. So it eventually got to the point where um, when he first started to move towards canceling DACA, USCIS canceled all new applications. It said nobody could renew, nobody could you know file new applications. When the legal community fought back, USCIS was like, okay, we'll take renewal. So for those who had already applied, they were able to continue filing their applications. But no new applications would be accepted. And so that left a lot of people in a, a place where if they hadn't applied by then, they were out of luck. And there was a lot of people. There was a lot of people that never applied to begin with because of fear, because there was this, and, and now living in with this administration and that fear wasn't misplaced, but they were afraid that hey, if we apply, our names are going to go into a database and when they start removing, they're going to know where to find us. And so that fear kept a lot of people from applying. And so once they started to rescind DACA in 2017, they weren't able to to apply. If they hadn't and applied so already. And so we were, yeah. up to this decision, we were only doing renewals. So from 2017 to now it was renewals only. Okay, and where are we at now? So what did this what did this case say? What are you how are you advising clients now? So pretty much this case what it was I mean it was a big surprise for all of us because um it's a very conservative court now um with this new administration. Yeah, and that so, was and the the justices that that sided with Right. And, and the, the justice right, the justice that actually wrote the opinion which was Justice Gorsuch, he was actually appointed by by Trump and I mean it was uh, it was very surprising. Um but I think um no it wasn't it wasn't Gorsuch. Gorsuch just the He dissent dissented, no? No, no. Gorsuch wrote the LGBT Decisions, yeah, which was another huge surprise. <laughs> we yeah. should probably yeah, have two, a separate two, podcast two on this one. Right? Yeah. Then, then um, yeah. right, 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 right. So um but no, the the writer of the DACA decision was also a very conservative um, justice, and he pretty much said it was uh, uh, Chief Justice, no, that wrote it. Robert Chief Justice, Justice Roberts, yeah. yes. Um, and he, what he said was, the Trump administration went went the wrong way to canceling DACA in 2017. They have the right to do to do it, but they have to follow procedure. Um, pretty much the way they did it was unlawful, um, and if they do want to get rid of it, just like Obama 
issued the executive order to um, to implement DACA. He was given a good reason to implement DACA and he justified his executive order. Trump had to do the same thing. If he wants to take it away, he has to do it by an executive order and he has to provide good reasoning of why he's canceling DACA. And the administration simply did not do that. And so they they struck, you know, they they struck the administration down and they said they have to try again, which of course that's that places in a situation where if this um, administration is reelected, he can very well try again to get rid of DACA again. They'll yeah. just have to follow the proper channels. Right. Yeah, and they did kind of, that was one of the big concerns, I think, in the legal community is that they did kind of lay out what they need to do in order to get it approved, maybe if they want to try in the future. Right. I mean, right, that right, was right. one of our concerns. So U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, USCIS, um, and we've talked about them before a lot, Richie, uh, they are the ones who adjudicate a lot of these petitions, including the DACA applications. USCIS has issued, um, I guess it's like memorandum saying that they're not going to abide by the Supreme Court decision. They issued a statement, which, um, so the way, the, you know, where this decision leaves us is, one, we can still file renewal. So that's for sure, because it really, uh, it restores DACA to its complete self, right? Like the program, it's restored. Um, but a lot of us, a lot of attorneys, so there's different, you know, the attorneys are handling it in a different way. Like they are either advising their clients, wait, let's wait, let's wait for USCIS um, guidance to see when they will start accepting um, new applicants. Um, applicants that are applying for the first time, or you have some attorneys that are saying, you know what, let's, this decision gives us the green light to file these new applications and they're already filing. And the worst thing that could happen is that they get rejected, right? Um, But- Right. And then there's those attorneys that are like, no way, I'm not sending my clients information because then they're going to be placed in a database where they do decide to remove, then they're going to know where to find them. Right. So there's different, I think there's different like schools of thoughts among some immigration attorneys right now. Um, I mean, ultimately, I think it's up to the person. Up to the person. Right, right. But USCIS, and, and, and the thing is, is that USCIS hasn't issued any guidance of when they will start accepting new applications. They did issue a statement that was very, um, very disturbing, very anti-immigrant. They pretty much um, said that these people were in the country unlawfully in violation of the law. And it was just, it's, wow. it's it, right. For coming from a government agency, it was very... It's very disheartening, but not surprising. The government agency that adjudicates these petitions. Right, right. So that that told us their stand on and their view of the of the decision from the Supreme, the Supreme Court and their willingness to issue guidance in a in a in a quick way, you know, mm-hmm. to be able to um, get these applications in. Um, but it's pretty, you know, we'll we'll see. And and anything can change next week. You know, right now we're just waiting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what are you, are you submitting new applications? Yet? We are, far, so my partner and I talked about it in our firm is we're not. Um, we decided to wait. Um, and this was because when, right before the Supreme Court issued the decision, the, you know, the, the, the leaders and or the top officials of DHS um, did, release a statement, Department of Homeland Security, they did release a statement saying that they were ready to initiate removals. As soon as the decision came down, they were pretty confident that it would be, you know, right, that it would be in their favor and that they would, um, that they were ready. They were ready to um, go after these, these individuals and and issue removals. And and that really, of course, uh, for us made us think like, hey, this administration is going to 
remove these individuals and and we wouldn't put it past them. So we're not, we're not, we're not filing new applications until we get clear guidance from USCIS. Yeah. And we're just erring, you know, we're erring on the side of caution because of the type of an administration, the type of climate that we have right now. That's fair. Yeah, we're kind of doing the same thing. I'm a little scared to file new petitions, have them rejected, and then them try and enforce removal or something like that. So I've just basically been giving people the list of documents that we usually need for, for DACA so that they can start gathering them if right. we get some good guidance, but... Right, right. Yeah, and I think that's the probably that's probably the safest, most conservative way to go. Like I said, a lot of attorneys are not doing that, um, but I think it just really depends on, like you said, leave it up to the the person, the client. Yeah, and it's a hard situation because these are people that have been in the U.S. most of their lives. Some of them don't have family in Mexico, you know. So I could see where some people would want to just do it and see what happens. But yeah, we don't know yet. We don't know yet. So considering this current administration, right, it's also an election year. What might the future of DACA look like, you know, based on, you know, let's say that the Democratic nominee is is Joe Biden. Like what is, what might, you know, we might, might see in the future in terms of DACA legislation and 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 moves, I guess, maneuvers. Right. I think it's going to really depend on who becomes president, right? Yeah. Because I, I am the way the decision was written. I think it really gave the administration now a green light to say you can try again and a pathway, and the basically. pathway, yeah. pretty much the pathway to do it. And um, he said that Trump. I mean, did say that he was going to. Yeah. 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 So, and I don't think any of us have a doubt that they wouldn't. You know, um, by the way, they've been they they've been dealing with DACA since he. Be- you know, and came immigrants into in office. general. Yeah. Right. And and I think if, if, of course, if Biden comes into office, he did release a statement saying that he would, you know, have he would keep DACA. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he would go hopefully a step um, further to actually um, push Congress to do something about it. Because ultimately DACA is not, uh, it's not a steady relief. It's not, it doesn't give people the ability to be here um, permanently. It's just like a temporary, um, like Stop, a band-aid almost, stopgap, right? Like yeah. it's almost exactly. like a band-aid yeah. for, for people's status. So ultimately we do have to push Congress and actually get legislative action to deal with this issue. I don't think that legislative action is probably more um, more likely if we do get Biden into into office. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Biden, you know, he was VP to Obama and that's, DACA came down under Obama. So um, I'm sure he had some input in that. And I think we can kind of guess that that it would be the same kind of mentality. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, legislative point, action though. is what we need for yeah. sure. So let's talk about, is there anything else with DACA that mm-hmm. you want to mention or talk about? Just get those renewals in. We have actually been doing, and I don't, I don't know if you've heard about this, but we've been renewing early, even before the six months, and they've been approving them. So oh, okay. if you do have your DACA expiring, um, some attorneys may not know that you can file early um, and they do renew it because they do take a long time to renew them. So if you're coming up on expiration on your DACA, just make sure and, and renew it. Um, but there was another Supreme Court case that I wanted to talk to you about, Brenda. So we do a lot of asylum cases. So you do removal defense, as do I. Um, and we do a lot of asylum cases. I don't know, Richie, we talked about a little bit about the MPP program before, right? So basically people that were coming to seek asylum were being sent back to Mexico to wait out their court hearings. 
Um, and all of this is just so everyone knows, um, today is, what is the date? June 27th. So um, some of this DACA stuff, we may have more information coming up this next week. Some of this this stuff with the asylum cases and the MPP cases, because all of the courts are currently closed, the non-detained courts are currently closed. Um, so what's going on? Can you talk to us a little bit about this asylum case, the, the Supreme Court decision that just came down? Um, and what it means for asylum cases? Um, yes, pretty much what, what, what the decision held. Um, and do you have the name of the, the full name? Of the of that decision? Yeah. Um, I'll find it. I'll pull it up. Just because it's very hard for me to pronounce. Yeah. <laughs> Let me pull it up. I mean, in essence, what the, what the decision held was um, that people or individuals that come into the country that are given an expedited removal, then I'll go in. Um, into what an expedited removal is, um, that they don't have a right to seek federal um, circuit review um, regarding their their fear fear claims. Um, this individual that uh, this case involved was a, a national citizen of Sri Lanka, and he came to the U.S.-Mexico border. Um, he was detained by immigration officials. He was given an expedited removal. He was placed in detention. He claimed fear to return to his country um, because he was from a minority ethnic, ethnic group from of Sri Lanka. Tam Tamil. 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 He was, he was yeah. from the Tamil ethnic group, right? And so who often suffer... And I believe there's country conditions that support his claim that they, you know they often suffer persecution from from the government. Um, he did his claim um, because of their status as a because minority, of, right? Yeah. Because of their their ethnicity, um, which is something that our asylum laws often protects. Um, but he did not pass his, his credible fear. The asylum officer found him credible, but did not find that he met the met the standard. Um, yeah, so the, the credible fear is the first step for, for you guys who haven't heard it. And you can go back also, we did do an episode on asylum, but the credible fear is the first step, right? You that's have to, the first, the first step. That, that's what, right. That's where they can go before an asylum officer and they can state why they can't return to their country, what happened to them. Um, that's like their first chance at stating their claim. Um, the asylum officer found a negative credible fear. Um, he saw review by an immigration judge. That immigration judge affirmed um, the asylum officer's decision, and he sought review. He sought review from the Ninth Circuit, um, and well, he saw yes, he saw he sought review. The Ninth Circuit found that he was entitled to federal review. He found that the expedited removal law violated the suspension clause, actually, um, where. Um, and, and and let me let me backtrack to the procedure. He once the immigration judge found the that the asylum officer was correct in his decision, he saw a writ of habeas corpus in district court. Right, district court denied that, saying that the expedited removal law prevents federal review, prevents a, a habeas action because that's it. Like the, the review ends. Once the immigration judge affirms the asylum officer's decision, that's where the review ends. District court denied. He appealed to the Ninth Circuit. The Ninth Circuit is the one that held, no, he is entitled to federal review. The expedited removal law violates that suspension clause, which states that a habeas action should always be allowed unless there's like an emergency or a national emergency. And so, of course, it went. The government saw um, 
Supreme Court review and they, they granted certiorari and then they pretty much held that no, the expedited removal um, law did not allow federal review. So it was a huge victory for the Trump administration for sure and a huge blow to the asylum process. Yeah, and all this was before even getting into his actual asylum case. I mean, this is basically him just trying to present his asylum case. That's correct. That's correct. And that's why the expedited removal law, which has been in place since 1996, it's just, it's, it's been around for a long time. It was, um, it was a huge change in, in 1996, but now it's being challenged because this administration has really used it as a way to really prevent people from presenting their asylum claims at the end. So, so now it's going to be even harder to get past that initial, if there is a negative credible fear finding. Yes, because it really, it goes, it goes to show that that's it. Like if the person gets a negative finding from the asylum officer, the immigration judge is going to rubber stamp almost that, you know, that finding and then that's it. Yeah, like the review stops at the asylum office. So essentially a, a decision is being made by an officer who has very little legal training, likely maybe a little bit of asylum training, but may not necessarily understand the intricacies of asylum law and in particular, you know, social groups, minorities, domestic violence. Right, right. Well, not only that too, it's just these these interviews. I don't know if you've ever sat at a CFI interview. They're very short. They're very, the officer's very- Combative um, often. <laughs> Combative often. Right. It's like, it, it's, it's, and they don't want an explanation as to anything. And so the person is left with um, almost no ability to fully present their case. And so I think that if you're basing a decision on this interview that's often very short and that is often not giving the person the opportunity to explain their claim with great detail or present evidence, you know, then it really leaves a person without the ability to fully explain why they can't go back to their country. Um, a lot of the times these people do these interviews without talking to an attorney or without having an attorney present. They, they're often done by the phone, like over the phone, right? From these detention centers. Um, and they're often done in a language that's not the person's primary language. I, a lot of the times they, they do attempt to get interpreters. I, I've seen that. But, you know, a lot of these exotic languages that are not, they just simply don't have interpreters. Especially um, the indigenous. They don't have them. And then the person is left to, you know, do an interview um, in Spanish or, you know, that which is not their primary language. So just there's a lot of, of course, a lot of due process concerns with these interviews. And so if their fate is based on a decision by the asylum officer, then that's, you know, that's that's pretty... That's, that's, that's pretty egregious. And, you know, once this goes up to the immigration judge, because they do have a right to seek the review by an immigration judge, if they go to an immigration judge on, the, with, you know, on their own without an attorney or without having to talk to an attorney, then again, the review is going to be minimal. Yeah, just going to rubber stamp. Right, because said. the yeah. immigration judge is very limited as to what they can ask, what they can do. All they, all they can do, what the law permits them to do is to review the asylum officer's decision, what they consider, what they had before them. They, it's very rare that an immigration judge will go beyond that record. Some of them do because a lot of judges can see past the asylum officer's decision, but it's, I mean, how many have you had reversed? How many decisions have you had vacated? Oh gosh, like one, that, maybe two. Right, I want to say like in the last ten years that I've done this, and I don't do them often. I'll, I'll, you know, as as much as other attorneys do, but I've I've had a handful. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So so it's it's very concerning, and so 
this decision was definitely a, a blow to that process. Thank you.